I always have a million apps open on my phone. And every time I go to close them, I feel embarrassed that the... It's just like people out there always closing the apps on their phone after they're done using them. Like, what do you do? This I feel as though it's my oldest guy tendency because whenever people catch me with all the apps I keep open, Benny, it, like, people chastise me for it. Well, I, I don't know how it works. Like, when you go to look at all the apps that are, I guess, running or open on – they're yeah. not all running at the same time, right? Like, yeah, you don't are. have a supercomputer in your hands at all yeah, times. Yeah, no, they're like, running. What? Are they're, they're running? running? They're on. I don't think yeah. that's true. No, they are. They're all on. But, what do you mean? You but, think they're just dormantly there? No. Yeah, you no, not. Them. I think only like the last two that you used are actually running. It's not like you I have 20 I, apps I, running at a yes. time. You, no, that's no. exactly what it is. That's why your phone slows down. I don't think that's down. right. No, that's right. Get Tim Let, Cook on the line. I don't think get, that's correct at all. No, get his friend, Nick Kiprios, who sits with him at hockey games. <laughs> Kipro will know. That's right. Yeah, we, get we, we papered over that. We papered over that. That was that should have been yeah. a bigger story. Is Kipper with Tim Cook and what those two guys talked about? Kipper yeah. was like Marner's underappreciated. <laughs> he was like, I, "Who is this guy? Why is he sitting next to me?" And, yeah, and Tim Cook was like, "All right, you want me to buy the Leafs and uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, <laughs> make, make him more appreciated somehow? <laughs> yeah. yeah, make some shrines for him." Yeah. He's like, "That'd be good. That would be damn good." No, they're definitely all running. I just yeah, whenever it happens, the youths go or. Uh, ladies, that's right, not to brag, but they go, how could you have so many apps running? And I go, I don't know, I just uh, leave my phone. It's just that they go, you're old, and then I feel my feelings get hurt. How, it makes me feel what? like I'm you because I do that to you about a lot of things. What do you think Using your old guy your thing your phone is? for many different things is an old person yeah, thing? Yeah, but leaving like – it's, it's like – like, okay. People close each app after using it. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's see, you and I are both a couple okay. of olds standing Thank around you. here talking about. Yes, that's what I'm saying. We're old. No, we not. the youths no. do this. Yes, they do. I'm telling you, they do it. This is basically our version, our ages version of our parents. Whenever we see them with their flashlight on and they don't know for right. an hour, <laughs> you know, like their phone will just the battery will die as their flashlights are on. You go, your flashlight's on. You go, yeah. That's a weirdly embarrassing thing. If the, your flashlight turns on on your phone accidentally for even a second, you go, oh my, oh my god. It's kind of like the panic if you're ever if you don't ever take public transit, but whenever you're in a public space, no, I would never. Well, it just happens in public transit more because it's the morning for me anyway. But when someone's iPhone alarm goes off yeah. and everyone's kind of scrambling, looking around, going, is it me? Oh, because yeah. we all have the same alarm. And, and you're freaked out that you're the one. But your flashlight turning on for a second is is basically someone's going to come grab you and throw you in an old folks' home. You go, like, well, oh, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. My thumb had slipped. And some guy just shows up. Nope, too late. Off to yeah. old folks' jail for you. Well, and especially when it's like a get-out situation where you're trying to take a picture of a freak and you accidentally oh, have a flash on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's always – no, that's that's terrifying. <laughs> and as someone who has taken a few pictures, you and I like to play a game called That's You. Uh, yeah, I play that game right. with a lot of people, and sometimes that requires taking a photo in a public place. So that's that's always the fear. Do you know what you think your oldest guy thing is? You're going to have oh – your boys God. are – right now, you're the, your hero – but there's going to come a time in the not-too-distant future where everything you do they're going to think is lame. I, well, I, I, I'm trying to think of, like, what my youngest person thing is that I do. Like, I do oh, – yeah. everything I do is, is <laughs> yeah, it's old a good point. person-y. Yeah, it's like, a good point. That's a good point. I yeah. You're like, really... I just want to play golf and watch baseball. It's like, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Into yeah. the crypt I go. Yeah, yeah, I don't really do young people things. Yeah. Honestly – 
I, I like new music when I hear it. I never even listen to new music. It's it's horrible. Can it's, I say I'm, something right now? It, when yeah. you just even said new music, you sounded a million years old. You went, I, 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 I know. I like hearing new music, the new music that's out there. Oh, just hit me with the new yeah. music. Music is a, is a good way to stay young, but then there is a tipping point where you try to relate to someone over it, and they go, you listen to that, and it it's oh, yeah, it, it gives people the ick. Yeah, it definitely does. I think that happened with uh, Olivia Rodriguez. That was a real moment in time where you people oh, took a stance. Isn't her name Olivia Rodriguez? Yeah, that's right. See? Rodrigo. Uh, no, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. I got way. it. Now you're old. You're old. <laughs> I told you. I already was. I couldn't get into it. It did nothing for me. I went, oh, yeah, this is all right. This is fine. <laughs> this is just okay to me. Um, so you're watching your baseball. You're loving your golf. Uh, I have topics on both of those things for you today. I'm Great. Okay, so winter meetings are heating up, and mm. we're starting to get articles all the time, right? Ben Nicholson-Smith and Shai Davidi are just white-knuckling it. They're just, you know, clacking away on the keyboards, and there's updates every 10 minutes. And it went, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then yesterday, all of a sudden, just a bunch of stuff ended up going down. Um, Verlander signs for, I think it was $43.5 million a year, 43.3? Yep, with a vesting yeah. option for a third year. What does that mean? So it means if he – we don't know the stipulation, but probably it's uh, if he stays healthy, if he pitches a certain amount of innings over the first two years of that deal or maybe just in the second year of the deal, yeah. then it automatically vests like it's a three-year deal or maybe it's like a player option for a third year that he can take. Okay. So there's some discussion. Is Ben Nicholson-Smith reporting that the Jays were in on him, that they, they, they mm -hmm. made a pretty aggressive pitch, that they – we're willing to give him some term. Yeah, multi-year offer for Verlander. Obviously, they were interested in him a year before. Ben's been reporting that for a while. Um, he also backed it up with he was always going to New York or L.A. That was what he was told by one executive. Phillies give Trey Turner $300 million over 11 seasons. I'll, this is my thought off those two things. Which one of those two deals, when you saw it, did you go – hey, Blue Jays should have done that, or was that to neither? Um, well, not necessarily to the Trey Turner one, because unless you were having the discussion about, yeah, Bo moving to second base, that one's a harder fit, and I, I, who doesn't like Trey Turner? See, that but, was yeah, the one I, that I did see, and go. I went, that's a little lower than I expected it to be. It's yeah, Trey sure. Turner. It was yeah, 11, 11 years. years. He's, he's 30 years old. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was no, dude. Of course, but but the, if we play that game with free agents, it's always going to be of that course. way, right? It's always going to yes. be well. How many years of this are going to be bad? But when you're talking about title contention windows, if you're a Phillies fan right now, do you think Phillies fans are going, "Oh my God, eight years from now, Trey Turner might not be good," or do you think they're going, "Oh great, we have a team that's in a title contention window, and our ownership once again after going after the likes of a." Bryce Harper, after hitting on Kyle Schwarber last year in free agency, we went out and got Trey freaking Turner. This is amazing. Yes. I, okay, I shouldn't say that I, I that's the one I didn't see as a fit. It's the one that I didn't see as realistic, really. Yeah. Like, I, I just didn't, right? And I did think that this team had the ability to go high annual average value over a shorter term, like the mm -hmm. Verlander thing, like they probably offered him last year, probably weren't willing to do two guaranteed seasons coming off Tommy John surgery and it obviously ended up only just being one because he opted out of that contract obviously after winning the American League Cy Young Award so mm -hmm. they knew the cost of doing business with Verlander so they knew it would be somewhere around the average value of the Scherzer contract and yeah like it, I know 
Bow and Vlad are getting expensive here, but you can you can weather the storm over these couple of years for Justin freaking Verlander, who jumps the line and is your game one playoff starter for forty million bucks. Yeah, I I, I had that original thought with Verlander, but I, I will say even for him, I went that's a that's a lot of cash for Justin Verlander, and there there is a difference to me of getting at least a couple of years of a guy's prime versus potentially grabbing a guy who. Is, is at least at the age where things could go south immediately, right? Oh, no. I think if Justin Verlander's healthy, like the big question is health, right? And yeah. and not even health during the regular season. Because here's my thinking, and I, I'm sure we'll get to Andrew Haney later on. Yeah. Well, uh, because I he's just, also yeah. one, of, one of the, the guys that's been connected to the Blue Jays. I do that... love people who have like hard Andrew Haney opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just I, don't really he have was those. Really, he was good last year. Yeah, he struck out a bunch of people. For, yeah. yeah, exactly. For limited innings, he struck out a bunch of people, and he was on a lottery ticket contract. And now it's it's just weird to me that the Blue Jays, they, they've they had this, yeah, that all of a sudden they're very interested in the guys that normally they're good at signing. That they went from being the team where they were like, we're the Robbie Ray team. We go and right. get Robbie Ray. We go get Steven Matz. Uh, Ross Stripling was in a trade, but I, I do view him as a little bit of that anyways. Um, Kikuchi, they overpaid for, obviously. That's horrific. I don't even know what his future is. But, yeah, all of a sudden, the, guy, the likes of, like, the With Andrew the Mets, Hughes, apparently. Like, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's been rumored to be one of the the jettison pieces if the, the Blue Jays spend a bunch that, you know, the, the contract was front-loaded $16 million in year one and just $10 million for this year and next, that – Somebody might be willing to to take him on. Anyways, besides the point, like my, yeah, what I, I wonder who leaked about, that. The Jays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's yeah, always one I of know. those. Who who benefits from leaking this information? The Blue Jays going. You know, it's not a lot of money for yeah. a not that risky of a. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, I'm sure a team is just really, very excited to go out and get Yusuke Kikuchi for ten million bucks. Yeah, the point. Yeah. Probably not, but yeah, I guess the the argument is that he could be a reliever, uh, strikeout guy if he could throw a wow. strike. Um, but. What I was saying about Verlander and what is true about Haney as well is that the regular season does not matter, right? Like, I think we're at this place now. Uh, if you really think the Blue Jays are in, in dire straits of making the playoffs in this expanded, bloated playoff field, and, oh, I know the Orioles are going to be scary this year. The Blue Jays should be more than talented enough to weather the storm, especially in a balanced schedule season mm. where they're, again, winning 90-plus games, getting the postseason. What you're looking for is high upside, guys. Like, I pay Justin Verlander $43 million next season to not pitch one regular season game, but to be Justin Verlander for the postseason, right? That's what you're paying for. You're paying for somebody. You're not. You, this is, like, not an R.A. Dickey year where you just need somebody to eat some innings. You do need that as well, but you can get that guy off the scrap heap. That can be a lower, lower end, like, don't pay that guy all that much. And uh, I wouldn't have gone after Kyle Gibson, but apparently they did. But that can be that. They, that they got a weird guy. Kyle Gibson fetish. This is just this I has been an know. ongoing thing. His ERA was. I had to look it up. I thought, oh, Over he must five. have had a good last. <laughs> no, no he stunk. He was bad. He's anyway, really bad. And, he's and he old. chose he's, the Orioles. So the, yeah. the, 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 this is the type of guy we're talking about here. His ERA um, was over five, and he is 36 years old. And the Jays went, we gotta try to get gotta something gotta have him. with this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, Tanner, ooh, Tanner Roark, but for yeah. one. Less season? Yeah, sounds good. Exactly. No, that's exactly the type of guy that they shouldn't be after. I mean, they should yeah. be order of operations, like, down the line. They do need to add a little more depth and, like, some more sure. insurance. And even, like, a triple-A a starter, a guy fringy major leaguer. So the sure. poor Thomas Hatch 
does not see the light of day yet again in the major leagues of baseball. But no, what you should be looking to do is guys that are impacting postseason games. Jumping the line, like I said, a couple of guys who are two of the best starters in Major League Baseball in Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa, get somebody better than them even. And now you got now you got a team. You got well, the top three starters in a postseason series. So the the one thing I think is the what do you think is the worst baseball fan? I, I think that one is or the worst major league baseball cliche. One is definitely there's no such thing as a bad minor league contract, and you go, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, who cares? I, th- again, who's having an opinion on this? But two is the person that says you can never have too much starting pitching. You go, yeah, fine. Whenever there's any kind of bad player signed, and you say, yeah, you can't have uh, too much pitching, but you can comment at least on the caliber of the starting pitching you're getting. Anyway, the the market just. It, it It's weirdly dried up quick, man. It just, all of a sudden you're looking at it and Chris Bassett requires them to give up a, a draft pick, which doesn't feel like this organization is going to be overly excited about doing. And now it feels like there's just a lot of pressure on getting Andrew Heaney of all people. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's a weirdly developing free agency. Yeah. Um, and I don't, Chris Bassett's nice, but again, like not one of those guys that you'd think yeah. about as being, uh, you know, he's not going to jump the line of Kevin Gossman and, and Alec Manoa to be game one starter in the postseason. Now, Dude, you know what Ainge- a lot of this makes me think of, to be like truly, is how they, it really feels like they're searching for a third starter because Verlander was clearly the only option to get a, a number one, right? The guy who yeah. actually could potentially jump a Manoa or a Gosman for a game one start. Even then, maybe not. But it just mm. reminds me of how t- they might be afraid of the future of Brios. That, that they've got to be kind of well, shaking in their boots about him becoming actually a guy again. I, I think, yeah, the, rightly so. They should be... Yeah thinking about what I just said about upside yeah. and, and being a guy that you're comfortable handing the ball off to in a postseason series and thinking, okay, that was the uh, that was the thing about Barrios, right, is that he was supposed to be – you were supposed it's to be able to count on him throughout yeah. the course of a regular season, but the upside was not, like, astronomical. I know some yeah. people pegged him as, like, a Cy Young Award winner. That, that was not yeah. his career trajectory. He was a, well, a it was pretty a good, like, thing. above – pardon Blake me? Blake did a breakdown. It was – I remember Blake's breakdown on it. it, it the big belief with – him was that the Blue Jays infield had improved to such a degree with Matt Chapman at third and Bo sure. progress at short, which you know, is a, yeah, uh, that he was going to induce enough ground balls to that side of the infield that he was just going to be dominant this year, that he was going to be Mr. Ground Ball and get it to the, sure. the sweetest spots. Yeah, because no. we know in the postseason what wins is ground ball pitchers, guys who just get contact. On yeah. the, no, it's guys that strike people out. That's why. <laughs> what as, year is as, this? Yeah, as, as, <laughs> used to be a as, thing. as long as 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 Andrew Haney is striking out like twelve per nine, which he was last season, albeit in in limited sample, right? Like yep. what made fewer than twenty starts or about twenty starts last year, and his his like his baseball reference page is all over the place. But basically, Dude, the last the two thing. years that's he's just dedicated I, himself. My to memory of him slider. was bad. My memory of Andrew Heaney was bad. And I went, he was good at some point? <laughs> you know, he was... Well, a... He's a, he was a, a first-round pick, too. So, like, he was yeah. a highly touted prospect. And they had that some That works in moments. baseball? We still do that in baseball? It was just, no. There was a lot of years with the Angels where they didn't have any pitching. And he was just one of the names that would pop up in the, in the cavalcade of guys that weren't good enough as they blew Mike Trout's prime. Yeah, guess what? Uh, Angels, not that great at uh, fostering 
pitching prospects, okay? Any they, 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 they can't other develop than them. Shohei. They're good at getting – if you give the Angels a generational talent, then they'll yeah. be fine. And outside of that, everything else is doo-doo. Like, yeah, what's the I best mean, thing they did outside of that? Cole Calhoun? I mean, he had Tommy John uh, with them. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. After, after he had his UCL explode, then, yeah, mm-hmm. he was really, really good. No, I, I, Andrew Haney is a high upside guy. He's not a guy that you could pencil in even for 20 starts. Again, yeah, made uh, 14 starts a season ago, 72 innings. His his career high in innings is 180, did it once. Outside of that, it's 120. Yes, three seasons, and he's been in the major leagues now for almost a decade. He's had three seasons where he's thrown at least 100 innings, right? This is not a guy – this is not a – it's the opposite of R.A. Dickey. If you if you hated the R.A. Dickey move and you hated the argument that people made that, hey, man, every year, 30 starts, 200 innings, it's better than nothing, then this is your guy. Then you're, you're pro Andrew Haney. And then I came around to that argument at the end of it when you looked at R.A. Dickey's totality and you went, you know, if this was, could have been a little different, people would have viewed this a little better than it actually was. But no, the trade and the expectations mattered. It's it's weird. The other part of the Heaney thing that I, I find a little interesting right now is the Jays really seem very locked in on these guys who don't throw gas but strike people out. That's that's the thing that they're horned up for right now. They go, wait, you throw a slider? <laughs> you throw, <laughs> I don't think it's got... necessarily that. You don't they think it's like that? The they strikeouts? Seem to be... Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and well, where's the guys, guy with gas? Where's the guy with gas that yeah. they seem to be No, Eric Swanson, all... you're right. Same, same no, they profile do. entirely, yes. except he does it fastball splitter, and Haney does it fastball slider. But, they went I mean, after Robbie Zach Ray Pop. wasn't they went a guy throwing gas they, either, right? They thought all those guys. They loved all those dudes. They went, hey, this is what we like. We're horned up for guys who don't throw, throw heat, but strike people out in weird ways. And it's almost like they in want to sit up ways. there and go, I told you so. Whenever <laughs> those guys get a strikeout, it's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I, I know that's that's a. Um, I listen. I've even made that argument about this front office that they like to be the smartest Different. guys in in baseball. That they they don't just like to win trades or uh, acquire free agents. They want to do it and then yeah, thumb their nose at people. Seemingly, mm-hmm. I do think all they're looking for is strikeouts and yeah, what yeah. Enter, I'm, whatever I'm manner possible to get them and whatever price point works for them, which, yeah, if, if Andrew Haney was a guy that was super healthy his whole career through 200 innings every year, through 99, and struck people out, he wouldn't be signing what is probably like a two-year deal, right? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about two years, maybe like 15, 16 million per. I don't know. Maybe this, this market gets out of hand that he, you have to tack on a third year. But, yeah, we're not, we're, we're not even – we're not talking about $20 million a year here, I don't think. Man, I, I shouldn't hope so for Andrew Haney, who had one spectacular strikeout season where he basically started half the games as a normal starter would. Yeah. Um, basically, all this is making me think about, though, is – okay, there's a couple things. One is – I. I know that you there that the Jays have signed guys, right? You and I were talking about them a little bit as we were coming on. Like the Ryu contract, everyone says it was actually worth it because it signified that the Blue Jays were willing to sign free agents. And I'm go, okay, sure, that's all right. I, no one's really upset about the Ryu signing. Him during the COVID year was the yeah it was the brightest spot of the season. Him being was he runner up or was he third for Cy Young that year? Either way, he was top three. He was in the top five. And, you know, they, no, they did a deal with Scott Boris, too. They got back in Scott yeah. Boris's good graces. They got the Borkor sure. hat. 
they uh, they gave George Springer a, a massive deal, and uh, it's been pointed out that the Mets wanted him and that there was really competitive. They were also during a – I will say this. They, it was during an offseason where they had a ton of money to burn, and there was really seemingly not as many suitors for big-time free agents. Like, it, it was a – it was a very unique offseason. The one you've got to give them really a lot of credit for, at least, is Kevin Gossman, right? Because that was a more competitive market. They went out and they identified who they wanted. And arguably, he was the best starter. Because was that the year Scherzer got his contract? It was, right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Either way, you could pick at nits. But between he, Robbie Ray, and Scherzer, it was one of the top three pitching free agents. This year, it just it doesn't... It's starting to get the vibe of bridesmaid Blue Jays again, and I and I really am at the point, man, where when they're runners up for somebody, or I'm seeing the reports of interest, I get that they are, and this is just I'm not blaming anybody for saying that they have interest in these players, but I I am getting a little frustrated because what you said is correct. This is a win now window. There are a lot of teams that are treating it that way, and you know what I really thought about with the the Verlander contract when I read Ben's quote about how. Hey, the the Jays were interested, but it was always New York or LA. And I went, okay, part of that has got to be market. But part of that is if, if the Blue Jays are just like a little bit better last year, right? If they're just a little bit more competitive last season, then maybe that they're more of an attractive destination. Don't you feel like Gossman looked at it a year ago and went, hey, yes, the money, of course the money, but this team might be upside of winning a championship, that maybe there's a little bit of bloom off the rose for the Jays with that. And it's just a reminder that they're not a destination market. They have to be a lights-out contender. And I don't know, maybe there's just a a little bit less of that shine on them right now. No, they have to blow people away with money, even the Canadians. Like, even Russell Martin. They have to go far and away the the best offer. They have to... Really, I mean, they have to attack an extra year onto the Hunjin Ryu deal. Same with the George Springer deal. Go to places that other teams won't go. Hinder themselves long-term at the back end of these free agent contracts. I, I, I think that's, you know, that's, that's most teams, though, right? Like, unless you are sure. a New York um, or an L.A. where I guess you can sell the idea of being in this major market and being just, like, above and beyond a, a, a baseball star, like a, a real celebrity, which I think is still underrated in this sport, in this city, because you have the marketing power to 40 million people here. I mean, we see it with the Raptors all the time. Like, yeah, the the idea that DeMar DeRozan would have been a, as big a star around the NBA if he was not in a market like Toronto before he was traded. Like, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I, I do think there is... Um, I mean, even look at a Marcus Stroman, right? Like, Marcus Stroman is a household name. He's okay, right? He, he started in He's some fine. postseason games, but he was a big star because he played in a pretty big market here in Toronto for a very relevant team. I do, though, man. I'm, I'm cynical when it comes to these free agency decisions. It's, it's, it's always about money. It really is. Like, yeah. I, I guess maybe you can have, like, a... You can have a Kyle Gibson who's like, you know what, I'd rather be in the United States. I don't think it's like he thinks the Orioles are going to be more winning. No, no, no. Apparently they offered him the exact same deal, right? No, dude, I I don't think that. But that's that's my point, actually, is that it's interesting to see guys like that choose other teams given the exact same money. Because yeah. you go, all right, clearly the border is always going to be a little bit of a something. Canadians 100%. always get very upset. When Last that couple of years run. didn't help that perception either. No, exactly, dude. And especially given, yeah, I would say the politics of a lot of um, made, like young professional athletes who have money. <laughs> like, okay? Mm-hmm. So, they like to go hunting. 
Yeah, well, well, not just that, but some of the other things. Anyway, uh, yeah, maybe they like to But do also that. that. Maybe, yeah, but also definitely that. Uh, anyway, the border is definitely a bit of a thing. Going and living in a different country, while attractive to some people, is still a bit of a hindrance to others. But what I do believe is, yes, the money is good, but all things being equal, a lot of these teams are around the same amount of money. And that the one thing that you have, if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, is being able to sell, hey, we are going to be in it. And this is what Mm -hmm. would scare me a little bit with a free agent. A free agent is you go. I remember talking to Nick Foligno about this, where, and this is different because it was a salary cap league. But I talked to him after he left Toronto, and he went, "Hey, even if I had taken a pay cut, I I kept thinking like, what else are you going to do? Like, what else are you going to do with this money? There's no other real Mm -hmm. path to improvement." And that was a concern for me. And maybe that was a little bit of him having a degree at least of sour grapes that the Jays lowballed him in a contract or sorry, the Leafs lowballed him in a contract offer. But I do think that's a consideration for players as they go, Hey, how much money are you guys going to spend over the next couple of years? Who else are you going to bring in here? How competitive are we going to be? And if you were George Springer at that time, the Jays were going, mm-hmm. dude, we're flexing so much money. We are flexing so much cash. We are going to well, go after and remember, players. But remember when George Springer was signed, it was after a season in which they had no revenue, right? Like they had yes. no human beings yes, in dude. the ballpark Th- and they this still is what went I'm out saying. and spent $150 million over six years on him. But this is what I'm saying is I do feel as though there is at least a little bit of potential here to be re-entering the always the bridesmaid era of being a Blue Jays fan. Is that I, I disagree. Just, I mean, okay, it's well, also way too early to be saying that. It okay. is way too early to be saying that. I get it. And I'll tell you this, too. I'm really – I'll come around on Brandon Nimmo if he becomes a Blue Jay, and yes, whatever. I just – to me, that's just – that's kind of the signing that I, I really don't like in baseball, where you really overpay a guy that's just m- more than average on the decline a lot of years. It just – I have my concerns about Brandon Nimmo at over $100 million, okay? I'm allowed to feel that way. And I, I won't be – I won't be baseball shamed that a guy that no one thought was going to get any kind of that money is going to get hold into on. that range. What but I don't mind. Jays are always no, hold on. bridesmaids, but you don't want them to spend on on no. The, that's not what I'm saying. Potential fit in center field. No, what I'm saying is is that I am really attracted to the top tier guys in free agency. I love it when a team goes out and gets Gossman, and when they go out and get the yeah the Springers of the world, dude. And that's what I view some of the guys in this free agent class as. And I, and I really do see the Trey Turner thing, and I go, man, I'm really jealous of Phillies fans that they're in on that. And I see the Verlander thing as that's the top of the tier. And Brandon Nimmo feels like the top of the B tier to me. Where it's not. Those, but that's where okay, you're wrong. Fine. Though. Okay, then, then that's fine. Disagree with me all you want. That's how I feel about it. That's what I look at. I see a declining player who is in his, like, who's in his 30s, who might fit the profile of the team well, but he's not a plus-plus defender. He's, he's good because you don't have to trade for something to me. Like, that's the main thing. He's lefty, great. He brings some on base. I know you love that. I love that, too. Some on base. Saying, he's, like, projected dude, to be one of the biggest on base threats in all of baseball I'm not, next year. He had a, <laughs> his career on base is almost 400. Yes, it is. And it's declined over the last couple of seasons, especially last one, as he's gotten a little bit older. Well, My only he, point with he, him. He stayed healthy. Yes, my only point with him, exactly, is that that is the type of deal that I I do feel like bites you in the ass earlier than a lot of these other ones. And if we're talking about upside, he is a bit of a lower upside, a little bit of a higher floor player. Will I get on board with Brandon Nimmo? Yes, I'm just telling you that it's not the most exciting proposition to me. I like it when they go out and say, you know what, screw it, we're going to go out there for top-tier free agents to be able to compete for that. I just wonder if some of those guys look at it and say, well, if I'm the one guy, then who else is coming? Also, when it comes to free agent pitching, 
I, I don't know where they really go next if there's no Andrew Heaney thing. Like, do they revisit Taiwan Walker? Do they revisit Noah Syndergaard? Like, do they start going after a guy? No, those they've... are the those are the and not necessarily innings eater types because those aren't like yeah. super healthy guys. Well, it's, but they're not getting in on Carlos Rodon. Well, that's it. That's I mean, that's the high end that is yeah. remaining outside. That's why Andrew Haney apparently has ten teams looking at him, trying to offer him a contract. So yeah, maybe my idea of two years at like fifteen million per, like two year thirty million dollar deal, is actually yeah. not what Andrew Haney's going to get. But that's it. The, 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 outside of that, maybe you're looking at trade, right? Which is yeah, which, which is I also, hate that. Yeah, that scares yeah. the crap out of me. I do not like trading for other teams' pitchers, especially when we're talking about, yeah, the Blue Jays having a, I don't want to say a limited prospect pool, but it's just, it is a little annoying that every trade, like the Brian Reynolds thing, who apparently is terrible, according to, you know, I thought Brian Reynolds was good, and then all the nerds went, no, he's horrific, you absolutely cannot trade for him. But Ricky Tiedemann's name being in just about every single trade proposal for anybody of decent caliber, um, yeah, I just I'd rather them trade for position players than for starting pitching. I, I'd much rather you address that through free agency. Yeah, which is apparently the the plan. I think the ideal plan, and I guess Shai Davidi pretty well laid this out explicitly, is Haney for a couple of years, and then you go out and and what it seems like might be the going rate is is one of the catchers, and maybe only Danny Jansen to the Cardinals for a Lars Newtbar, who is. I like, and, and his name is incredible, and he's left-handed, and he gets on base. His ability to play center field is a little bit up in the air because he hasn't played it because they, they have Dylan Carlson, who's Yeah, I'm not a big fielder. fan of that. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that, the, the Alex Kerfoot thing. is like, maybe he's a center, and then you go, oh, no, he's not. <laughs> you know, like we Slightly different, but yeah, yeah. we paid him to be a center, and he's not a center, so whoopsies. That's the, well, the, that's the tough the one. The thing is, he makes less... Uh, way less than uh, Brian Reynolds, so maybe you can take that money and get somebody else as well. And his uh, he's younger than Brian Reynolds by about like three uh -huh. years as well. And his he doesn't swing all over the place like Brian Reynolds does, but Brian Reynolds still somehow gets on base and takes walks, and he's a switch hitter. And the Brian Reynolds defense and center th field thing is really weird because he was horrific there a season ago but apparently like just the, the a one outlier defensive season so I don't know how that works like if he was trying to play his way out of Pittsburgh in, in some fashion yeah I saw a stat again I don't some of these baseball stats I, I I'll admit that I just kind of see it and it, it rolls past but I did see one where it was hey his his metrics on his range and his arm were worse than Teoscar Hernandez, and I went, "That's yeah. not good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not. not, not what you that's want. not for that's a guy, not the guy who you want to be compared a to." Super high strikeout rate. Yeah, yeah, strikes out a lot. Switch hitter. Yeah, though, right? I mean, t two years ago he was an MVP candidate. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with him. It's not like he's a thousand years old. He had a huge step back this past season with Pittsburgh, but yeah, would be, I guess the the argument for him would be. Like, who would like playing in Pittsburgh? Who wouldn't at, at some point get frustrated and just start flailing around and maybe take your ball, your eye yeah. off the ball um, when you're playing for the Pittsburgh freaking Pirates? And you know, you also know my feeling on these things. Like, hey, um, maybe don't build your team full of the Pirates. <laughs> That's yeah. always, I, I think that there is a value in going out and getting guys who have actually played in, in meaningful games or in markets where it actually matters and, and always assuming, well, this guy doesn't care because he's playing in, uh, under. No one watching is not really the better strategy. Anyway, I I'm glad I talked this to, uh, through with you. I will admit that, yes, 
um, the possibilities are endless approach. And Atkins is always out there going, teams know where we stand, where we're open to a lot of things. And we've got a lot of irons in the fire. And the Blue Jays are interested in every single player. It is nice. I like a flexible front office. I, Of course, what else are they supposed to say? That they're not interested and lie? Would you rather that they didn't make a pitch at Justin Verlander and and – yeah, just haven't seen him walk. Of course not. I'm just saying that some of my Blue Jays' uh, free agency insecurities are coming up in this offseason. It feels like a tremendously important offseason. And, yeah, the options being Brandon Nimmo, Newt Barr, and Andrew Heaney right now, just, yeah, well, they're not they're not we, screaming we World Series to me. Well, what about if I mentioned Kodai Senga to you? Now, I don't now know who that is. I like <laughs> I, I seen the reports. I, I, I have no idea. I haven't even put in a, a lick of research Buddy, into searching. Here's it. what like, you need to know about Kodai Senga: yeah. is he struck some people out okay, in the yeah. Japanese professional league? Sure. His walk rate was higher than Yusei Kikuchi's in that league. So, yeah, yeah if we're projecting forward, seems to me, and yeah. love to be wrong here that a guy who might be tad afraid of the strike zone and that only gets exacerbated when you face guys that can hit the ball 470 feet if you miss. That's that's not even that's if you get him that's a oh great you that's a add-on end of the luxury lottery ticket piece. All I'm saying is I guess I've felt a lot more confidence in the Blue Jays these last couple of off seasons and and they've rewarded that with actual results. Sure, and and that's been at the very beginning when we actually thought it was going to be just Tanner Roark, and everyone went, "Oh my God, these guys said they wanted to build on this team, and all they got was how many years did they give Tanner Roark? Did they give him three two. or four? Okay, no, I, I thought it was only two. Okay, maybe that's right, but either way, I remember seeing it and people Wasn't going, it "You know, he the Jaime Garcia he deal, yeah, no, the Jaime Garcia deal, I believe was a little er- was earlier. That was during that was before they were supposed to quote unquote take a step. He was there as a oh you can't. That was another baseball cliche. You can't be mad at a one-year deal. You can when it's $11 million for zero right. good moments of Jaime Garcia. Because um, I think it was $10 million with a $1 million uh, buyout for the second year. Anyway, um, they went out and got Ryu. That was a really nice moment. They went out and got Springer. And also, it should be said that they got Semyon, right, on the challenge deal. And they spent money yep. on him for the one-year contract. And, but that's the kind of deal what I'm saying is when you're spending cash and you've got money to burn, you can end up in a spot like that, which I like. That was a great, great, great signing. Um, then they get Kevin Gossman, and you go, oh, damn, this team is kind of maybe they're taking a bit of a pivot when it comes to free agency. Nimmo is the kind of bare minimum for me when it comes to this group. Like, if they miss out on him in free agency, I, I don't know what the – yeah, I just – that the insecurities will come back out. It feels like a very important offseason, um, and, like, the, the job isn't done yet when it comes to spending money. And I don't know. It just feels from the outside like it's a little bit of a tighter – Per string than I would like it to be. So so wait, now you're going to be mad if they don't sign Nimmo? Where are you on Nimmo? I thought you were going to be mad if they signed Nimmo. No, I'm not mad. You're, you're twisting my words. I'm saying that Nimmo, I'm not as excited about Nimmo as other people. Do I see the fit? Do I see the, do I understand why they would go out and get him? Yes. I just, yeah, How I feel like he's kind of in a situation with Springer is where it's like, how many years of center field is he going to play? He's someone who oh, misses. Oh, two, three at That's the most. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but so is, what? 
Okay. Well, sure, so, fine. so since when do you care about 2027? And you should. I don't. I care about this next iteration of. Yeah, yeah I think I care it, about this run. The point I made, Ben, is if you're going to spend over a hundred million dollars on Brennan Nimmo, go find the rest of the money and and go get yeah one of the shortstops. Like just take the hundred million and put it down into the in the shortstop. Bucket. But but factually, you do have a shortstop. Like I I don't disagree. Like if 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 Xander Bogarts, who apparently has refused, but. If he ever came to his senses and realized, hey, you know what, my market really opens up if I if I'm able to move off shortstop. Imagine Xander Bogarts is playing second base for you next year, and you can go Matt Chapman, Bobichet, Xander Bogarts across the middle of the diamond. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd plunk some money down for that. That that would yeah. make a whole lot of sense. But see that he doesn't see want that to. makes that see that makes me go yes. Whereas Nimmo just makes you go, that's nice. You know, that's that's nice. Just a lot of money for. Yeah, a uh, guy that I think is uh, good, <laughs> you know, good not great. I'm just uh, that's how I feel. I don't know how else to say it. I've looked at no, everything. his on base percentage is great, and yes, the fact that great. he can play capable center field is great. Like there's just yeah. nobody else out there unless you want to go into the Cody Bellinger pile. No, I don't. That can play center field. Like Michael Conforto don't doesn't the idea do that on a short both. deal. I, I don't mind the idea of getting both. If you sure. get Bellinger and say, hey, did you see the – I don't know if I brought this up with you. I think I brought it up with someone else. The, the Cody Bellinger shift numbers where apparently he's just astronomically better at hitting when there's no shift. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't went, buy into well, any of that. Like, I away. think there will be some guys that benefit like ever so slightly from the uh-huh. shift, but what people don't realize is that you're not banning – positioning your fielders in like you won't have two on that on that side in a shift but like yeah your second baseman will still play as deep as he can on yeah. the infield and in position that that ground ball that's hit hard there is still an out all right i want to take a quick break i, I actually meant to open today's show with the raptors um because I, I've, I was high on the upside of this team, and I still am high on the upside of this team because when they look their very best, they can they can genuinely look like a top-tier team in the NBA. When everything's clicking with their best five guys, they look incredible. The problem is when one of those guys drops off or two of those guys drops off just a little bit offensively, they, they just don't have any offense to be able to supplement it. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to look at the the Raptors kind of being stuck in the middle right now and – I think a little bit of a controversial direction in which I, I think that they should at least consider. That's next in the good hour with uh, JD and Ben. Sportsnet 590, the fan, 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 All right, the good hour continues. JD Bunkus, Ben Ennis. Subscribe to this podcast, leave five stars. Benny and I try to do this every week. Okay, so I, I did want to open today's show with the Raptors because I, I think that last night was actually a sneaky bad loss. A lot of people look at it as, hey, the way that uh, the guys in our group chat for the show looked at, which is, hey, they, you know, they hung around and they stayed tough with the arguably the league's best team. And I went, uh, no, that's not the take from yesterday. That was a back-to-back for the Boston Celtics. The yeah, Raptors were at no home. Brogdon. They had just gotten, yeah, there was no Brogdon. They were missing Al Horford, and Robert Williams still isn't there for them, which meant Blake Griffin in his 100th season – um, was starting at center for the Celtics. They didn't have a ton of depth last night. And again, it was a back-to-back. J- is Jason Tatum a superstar? Absolutely. Is he tough to contain? For sure. But that's kind of supposed to be the Raptors' building block is that they stop other teams' wings or at least slow them down. And the third quarter was determined by Jason Tatum absolutely lighting them up. So, no, that was 
that was a really bad loss for a Raptors team that, again, had been blown out in their last two appearances against the, the better teams in the NBA. And this is kind of – this is why last night was especially poor for them is – to me, part of what this season is about is showing how close they are to the NBA's top tier. And I mentioned it earlier. They can, they can. I don't want to say fake it some nights because they're definitely a tough team, right? They're a resilient team. They're well coached. They've got some very, very, very good players. Siakam is having a, a truly beautiful season. OG Ananobi has clearly taken a step. Some of his aggression on both ends of the floor has been some of the biggest positives of this entire NBA season. Um, I'm not going to panic about Scotty Barnes, who was fine last night, but in general has had a sophomore slump. That This hasn't been a great second year for Scotty Barnes by any stretch of the imagination. But the issue right now for them, what has really been tough for them, is this is just a team that for the second year in a row can't shoot. This isn't sample sizes. Last year, the Raptors were 27th in the NBA in true shooting percentage. This year, they're 28th. They're once again one of the bottom teams in the NBA in three-point shooting. Like They don't shoot the ball well. And the guy that's really hurting them was Fred Van Vliet last night. Yeah. It's a problem. He's 28 years old. He's already missed time this season. He's missed six games. And frankly, he, he looks a little worn down. The defense is there. Um, the hands are still as active as ever. And, and you love watching the way that he disrupts offensive players when, especially taller guys, when they're trying to get into their shooting motion, whatever. Um, he's got that team toughness. He's got the vision. He made a couple of really nice plays last night. But he's only played seven of the last ten games. He's shooting 24% from three over that stretch. Um, he's not someone that scores well in the paint. It's not like those areas are improving. And if he is playing this way, then the Raptors are what Masai Ujiri fears the most, which is a team that's stuck in the middle. They're, to me, the upper class of the middle tier of the NBA, the way that they've looked recently against top-tier opponents like the Celtics, like the Pelicans. Um, yeah, I can't. I so, can't disagree with you. Yeah. So the question is, how much longer are you going to be patient with this group? Because I think a lot of people confuse Scotty Barnes's age with the rest of the competitive cycle of this team. To me, what's what's clear with the Raps, or if I'm deciding the future of this team, it is it is a three man core, and that core is Scotty Barnes. OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. And the strange thing to me is for a team that can't shoot, the pivot I think they need to make is exploring the trade market for the two guys who can be unrestricted free agents at the end of this year in Gary Trent Jr. and, and Fred Van Vliet. And I have Chris Mannix on later. I don't even know if it's good enough because now there are other teams that are seemingly interested in those Lakers picks, but... I think one of the most fascinating routes that they could go down is trying to say to the Lakers, hey, we could get you two guys who can shoot theoretically in Gary Trent and Fred Van Vliet. We want those two future picks, and we'll take on the Russ contract. <laughs> if you have the Russ con uh, contract, uh, and then, yeah, you have the, the two first-round picks, which are you're, you're thinking about. So what's the earliest one? It's in a couple of years, right? It's, it's yeah, beyond the now. LeBron contract, though. So, yeah, yeah you're hoping yeah. that the Lakers are very much in a down cycle. But they are the Lakers. But you know what it is? But, but dude, it's not, even, it's not even that for me. You know what it is? It's that you have these future picks that might have a ton of value and that if you want to pivot and be able to make a move that helps you be competitive around the players that you have right now, you have added flexibility. My, my thing is, is that, okay, so Fred Van Vliet was supposed to get over $100 million heading into this offseason. And I, I think that, 
it's still hard for me to believe that he would ever opt into his player option and kick the can down the road because, yeah, then you're going in your age 30 year, more injuries can happen. You probably want to sign a contract. Same thing with Gary Trent. Both of those guys are going to be able to get money in the offseason. No one likes saying this, right? But if you're the Raptors, what what are you supposed to do? Are you going to tie yourself into this core? Are you going to give both of those guys money? Are you going to give one of those guys money? What does a Fred Van Vliet contract look like that you're comfortable with as he heads into his 30s as a you know six foot and below player well, that has had a propensity for injuries and has been slowing down shooting? This Fred thing isn't new, man. Like after the no. All Star break last year, he shot 35 percent or 34 percent from three. Like he's had a decent sample of this now. Well, and I think we can all maybe infer as to why, because he might only be 29, but he's an old 29 with the way that he's been used yeah. by Nick Nurse and this Raptors team, right? Like, he's been used and abused and always top 10 in, in minutes, right? And it's and it's been diminishing returns year after year after year. By the end of the season, he's been worn down, and, and maybe yeah. he can hop into the rejuvenation machine this offseason. But I think you're right to be worried about him headed into – his 30s making big money and I, the the thing that i have i have a tough time getting over with your trade proposal is that it i mean you talk about kicking the can down the line i know you can, you're right you can use those first round picks as trade assets but yeah no, that's what I, they're I, used as. You're not – these aren't for the future, man. This isn't about, like, building a team around Scotty Barnes in 2027. You know, like, no. You're, you're not wasting Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi's primes. The idea is that you take those pieces and that flexibility and that you're using those to – like, if a, if a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander does become available, and I don't think he will, but the next time a Shea or a Donovan Mitchell or whatever becomes available – that all of a sudden you have way more picks to be able to throw at that trade, which always works in those deals, right? You know what doesn't work mm-hmm. in those deals? Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet in their, you know, age 30 and age 25 seasons. Or your own picks where, yeah, you're you're never going to be a, a bottom feeder team. No. Exactly. That's No, that's what those are for, man. They're not – I don't ever want to see the Raptors make Lakers picks that they acquire. I want to see them be able to have those as weapons in trades. Yeah, I, I – I... At this point, it's hard to disagree with that logic because is this team a championship caliber team? Clearly not. Is it? Right. Is it like the second tier of playoff caliber team, like behind Milwaukee and Boston in the Eastern Conference, going to win a round and then give somebody a run for their money in the second round? I would have said so honestly two weeks ago. That's why I don't want to be too reactionary here. And like, do I expect Fred Van Vliet to shoot thirty four percent from three for the rest of the season? Man, I would hope not. And yeah, you're right. Yesterday I well, again, I'm with you on yesterday's game. It was a super disappointing game, but he had like wide open threes in the corner that he's missing in in the fourth quarter. The the Raptor I mean OG Ananobi's turning balls over in the final couple of minutes of that game. It was a very winnable yeah, game. Still. I'm not using that one game. I'm not, it was a winnable game. But again, that it was a game, even though they were slight favorites, they were supposed to be favorites in. That is yeah. a, we've had team meetings games. Yeah. We have had a team meeting about punching first and being a different group and coming and out the and setting magic. the tone. That is a team. Yep. And But they, <laughs> they have played the Celtics before in playoff series. And yeah. at one point, those teams were at least on kind of similar-ish tracks where they yeah. faced off in a postseason series and it was close. And yeah, Lowry's not there anymore. He's just not making that pass. And the Raptors were a little bit older. Sure, they pivoted. But 
yeah, you, you're, if you're measuring yourself up against that team, it's pretty clear, like, the gap that you have between yourselves and the Celtics right now. That's the way I felt about watching last night is, okay, maybe you win. I'm, I'm not just playing confirmation bias here. I'm not just playing outcome bias here. The Raptors cannot shoot, and they have not been able to shoot for a very long time. This is two seasons in a row, again, where true shooting percentage is in the bottom five teams in the NBA. And I don't really see where that improves. How much does Fred Van Vliet need to improve his shooting for you to vault yourself up that, that ranking? It, it's too much. They don't have a lot of shooting coming off the bench. They don't have players that you know surround those guys that give them those outside threats, those outside weapons. They don't have enough guys who put pressure on the rim. The offense, okay, dude, what does it come down to when you hit the postseason? Like, true shooting percentage is a great marker for what you're going to be able to do and what kind of baskets you're going to be able to get in the playoffs. Can you get to the line and can you hit threes? And the Raptors have not been able to do it. And I just don't see a huge reason that that is going to change. They can always tough a team out. They're always going to be scrappy and be able to fight their way back into games because they can get stops. They're a uniquely built team that when they kick the crap out of somebody on a given night, you go, oh my God, this works incredibly well. They have a player of Siakam's ilk and caliber where he can just take over any ball game on his own and he can basically keep them in them or win them one. This isn't a, I'm not asking are the Raptors a good team. They're not a failure. They're not a bad no. team. They're a good team. They could even win a playoff series this year. It's just that like they, they can't win a championship the way that they're currently constituted. Like They just can't. And the formula moving forward to try to tie up this core, it's, just, it's not going to result in one if they keep doing it this way. I just don't see a scenario where these guys line up with Scotty Barnes or Scotty Barnes takes such a leap, which was the potential theory that it could quote-unquote merge the timelines that's becoming less and less realistic to me well I think it's you ha, you said it earlier but I think it's just as simple as you're not well first of all you're not re-signing Gary Trent Jr. and he's not opting in and you know his, his, he'll figure it out and I guess in a bench role right now like that that guy just the way Nick Nurse talks about him the the indication is that that guy is not long for this franchise and are uh-huh. you signing Fred Van Vliet to a big money deal going into his age 30 year when he's already shown signs of decline I mean if the, if if it's as simple as that yeah, why wouldn't you explore the trade market before? And you're not a championship-level team. Of course you should be ex- exploring trades before the February deadline with both of those guys. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna flesh this out. Again, I have Chris Mannix later. I'm going to ask him some questions about what he thinks some of those contracts or what some of those values would look like. Um, it is interest- It is funny to me watching now the, the Russell-Westbrook trade become way more attractive to some other teams. Like, duh, why wouldn't you want those two? I've, I've never understood why teams were not more invested in trying to pry those two picks from the Lakers for the reasons that I outlined. Future picks are just valuable. I know that a lot of GMs don't have the equity to make those trades, but you know who does? The, the Raptors front office, who is here until they don't want to be anymore. Like, there's no, they're still in a very, very long grace period, and they will have the ability to make a trade like that. A, a step back to take a step forward trade. Um, either way, uh, Chris Mannix later on the show, senior writer for SI, and I am going to flesh this out again throughout the week. Like I'm going to have a variety of different guests on to discuss this. Um, one minute, you know, you got one minute uh, because I, I need you to sell this for me. Who who is the match for this weekend? It, it's this weekend, and it's all. It's like it, it's, there's no more celebrities now. It's just real golf. How dare you? No, it's it's for the Tiger sycophants. It's like it's okay. Tiger porn. If you want to see broken okay. down Tiger, <laughs> who can't walk anymore, it's and this is porn. one of the the rare events that he can yeah. take a golf cart. That's this okay. is for you. It's for one person. It's honestly everybody else should just be watching Tiger play. It should just be like let's watch Tiger for eighteen holes and see okay. see what he shoots. I just, that's I, all it is. Yeah, I just I, I wasn't aware of who is supposed to be watching like if i want to watch 
you know, Spieth and Thomas and Rory. It's I, I watched the tour where they yeah. are far greater incentivized to win. I like are those guys? Do those guys love? Are they such Tiger porn followers that they want to yeah. elevate their games just because he's Correct. present? I think so. And okay. there's only one guy that's well. That's then that's a damning that state group. of golf is that you go, hey, these guys are actually so rich that they don't care about the money on the tour anymore. Like during the most of the events, sure the majors, but that what they're really interested in is impressing Tiger Woods. Oh man, that's Justin Thomas's deal, right? Like yeah, he's no, really he seems is. like the the biggest yeah, he, Tiger sycophant. He like, really is. Yeah, yeah. He, him and uh, and Charlie are good buds. That yeah. I, I was gonna say that Justin his right now his legacy for me is the guy that I always pick to finish top five at the Masters but never win and uh, loves Tiger Woods. That's yeah. <laughs> and and he cried at the Waste Management Open when people cheered. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't it's wait for your loud out there. <laughs> that was Justin Thomas. I can't wait for your Charlie Woods takes though in a couple of weeks. That that tournament's next week where yeah. where Charlie Woods gets to play with Tiger. Yeah. The yeah. the next great golf hope, Charlie yeah. Woods. I my my favorite thing is we just watched this Tiger documentary where we all went, you know, Earl probably took a little too far in terms of putting pressure yeah. on the, oh, the it's boy. History repeating. I know and then now but now it's he's the greatest dad ever because he yeah, puts right. his child in the spotlight. Sure and I was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting that we've twisted our uh, that we've twisted things around to fit that. Like, that's a that's a weird fit, but okay, sure, fine. Anyway, uh, Ben Ennis, this was a good hour. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast review. Uh, when we come back, um, how about the, uh, the hottest player in the NHL? No, not Mitch Marner. It's Jason Robertson next. So I didn't think that when I looked at the schedule a couple of weeks ago that I'd be all that excited for Stars Leafs at 8.30, especially given that uh, I host Leafs Talk after every single game, um, which, by the way, subscribe, review, and we'll be live on YouTube, uh, McKee and I, the second the game is over. But, yeah, the 8.30 start and Stars and team that I think lately anyways you're supposed to sort of think about defensive hockey. That's what we've been drilled into our brains over the last couple of years, especially after that cup run. And now it's not that. It's, oh, my God, we're getting the league's two hottest players going head-to-head. It's the first time in NHL history where two players – on an 18-game point streak, have faced each other, which is which is pretty wild. There's there's this like there's this thing going around the internet right now around Twitter, and I shouldn't pay attention, but it's caught my eye every little every once in a while. Of the streaks are being overblown. The importance of these streaks are not important. Who has ever just relax, please. No one's trying to make these things out to be the Stanley Cup, but it's pretty cool seeing Mitch Marner hit 19 games in a row with a point, seeing Jason Robertson score hat tricks and extend his point streak to 18 games. I I do enjoy this stuff. This is something that I'm going to talk about a little bit more in detail tomorrow with uh, my friend Haley Salvian, but... What is it that you watch sports for? Like, what is it that you love to see from individuals? And to me, it's exactly what uh, I talked to Jason Robertson a little bit about yesterday. I taped this interview. It's it's going to be playing in a second. It's the thing that I talked about with Mitch Marner. It's seeing guys hit that flow state, seeing them unlock that next level, seeing stars play at their very best. And that, to me, is what a point streak indicates. And so if we're going to kill the NHL for never having enough stars, which I think a lot of people do, then I think it's so incredibly lame that you would ever poo-poo a point streak and do the it's not it's not that important it's being over it's being overblown okay cool thank you for your input on this matter thank you for 
your dissenting opinion when no one asked for it. It could that's the least important opinion that you could ever have. People are making too much of the points. Okay. What what is that? Who's who's saying that this is the most important thing? It's the ultimate Dumbo straw man. Anyway, um, Jason Robertson is red hot. He's scoring a ton of goals, and I'll save it actually because I mentioned it in the interview, but his stats are eye-popping uh, when you compare the start of his career to uh, only the best player in hockey, Connor McDavid. But uh, yeah, I got a chance to catch up with Jason Robertson yesterday, which was fun. Talked a little bit about uh, the zone he's in right now. The matchup coming up with the Leafs facing Mitch Marner and yeah of course um, relating to what his brother's going through and comparing it to earlier on in his career when he was in another lineup and and what he needed for those struggles to change that's all right here very excited to be joined by the league's hottest player right now stars forward November's first star 18 game point streak holder Jason Robertson what's up man hey yeah no thanks for having me yeah, it's a pretty good intro, right? Like, it's feeling pretty good right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, things are going well. Yeah, things are definitely going well. I actually, so this is kind of a cool moment for you because not only is everybody taking note because of the streak and the season that you're having and your team and your teammates, but I saw one thing today where you now through 152 games played, somebody put you up next to McDavid. You have 26 more goals than he did at this time. And only nine less points with a plus-minus that's better than ten. You're absolutely shredding it, man. You head into this game against Mitch Marner. He's on a point streak. It's you versus one of the biggest markets in all of hockey. Your brother's on the other team. Uh, two historic streaks. This is actually the first time in NHL history where two players on an active point streak of 18 or more have faced each other in a game. Tons of eyes. Are you, are you kind of soaking this in a little bit? Like, how are you feeling heading into this game? Uh, well, I'll be honest, it's not uh, as same as if I was walking into Toronto tomorrow. I mean, you know, so it's kind of different uh, being at home now. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's coming to, to, I know I'm playing against my brother, and that's certainly the uh, um, one big difference um, towards that. But, I mean, as far as just approaching uh, each game day by day at home, it's just another game for, for me and for our team. I'll I'll try to not jinx you then too much. Like I'll just do one last kind of one on the streak. Do you do you hate people mentioning it because you want to stay hot? Uh, Are you no, superstitious? I, no, I, no, no, I, I don't. They don't. You know, some people have that. Some people get superstitious. I mean, at the end of the day, whatever someone says, you know, on social media or to me, you know, it's not going to impact how the game's going to go tomorrow. So. <laughs> In my in my honest opinion, so I'm you know I don't I don't really believe in that. It is it is what it is. You know you look at the numbers and um, it's not going to change what you know I'm going to do out tomorrow and how our team's going to perform. So it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah, well I, I think it's really interesting though. I, I was talking about this on my show yesterday about flow, and it's this really fascinating field that. I I like to read about and I I love looking into that it's actually pretty new in terms of what we we learn and what we know about it but oftentimes when it's described people mention that your perception of time feels a little different and that yeah things just start to either slow down or moments go by really really quickly for you I I'm curious right now if you feel like during this streak you've you've been achieving something like that, do you feel like you're in a different flow right now? 
Um, I mean, nothing really. Different. I don't think it's any different than it was uh, last year. I mean, you know, the only thing different is the pucks going to the net more often now. So, I mean, uh, things are just going the right way. I mean, um, our team's playing faster, quicker, so I guess you kind of know where things are going to happen. It makes it easier to um, kind of anticipate where, where you have to be or, or where the puck's going to be. I mean, it's uh, it's a culmination of everything right now. And, um, you know, our team these past couple weeks, um, you know, we've had some overtime losses, but relatively been pretty strong these past couple weeks. And, um, yeah, I don't, it can only help a player like me when uh, everything's going well for the team. Did you did you change anything this off season? Like, have you changed anything in terms of like your either physical or mental preparation this year? Uh, no, nothing really. I mean, you know, confidence wise, uh, yeah, I think I liked the last year. You know, it's still my second year in NHL, so and it was my first year uh, full. Uh, you know, COVID year, so you only uh, other than the COVID year, so your first year playing against you know division rivalry rivals and. You know, East teams you never see again, and um, so this year it is a little bit uh, more comfortable playing against uh, the same players uh, or different players rather, and um, yeah, just having that confidence of holding puck, holding on pucks more often, and um, waiting attack. But I mean, you know, I had I'm fortunate enough to be you know in a very rare situation where you're on the same the same line these past couple of years uh, with the same players and. It, uh, it makes it pretty easy for, you know, a guy like me to, you know, stay focused and get more confidence and uh, be able to just go out there and do my, do my thing. See, though, that that's like a lot of the markers of what a lot of people ascribe that to, which is your routine, you being more comfortable, things having uh, more confidence, you being able to kind of set yourself into a little bit of a routine and things start to happen secondary. And, yeah, like I was talking to Eddie Olchek the other day who held the Leafs' uh, 18-point streak along with Daryl Sittler uh, before Marner ended up breaking it the other night. And, and he was talking about how when he looked back on it, what he really remembered was the way his linemates helped elevate his play. And, and you mentioned it. Like, you've been able to be with those guys now for a couple of seasons. Um, what do you, how would you describe playing with those two guys, Hintz and Pavelski? Um, well, I mean, honestly, it's, it's... – I mean, it's consistent. I think you know what you're going to get. I mean, um, you know what I'm going to play with. You know, I show up every night the same line, knowing how Joe's going to play, how Rube's going to play. And, you know, they're not deviating from our plan and the way we've been successful. And I think that's a, definitely an advantage because um, when you build that chemistry and you start to know how things are going, then uh, you can just play, you know, that much faster, that much quicker away from the puck, you know, just knowing – you know, what is he going to do that? He's not going to, you know, go take guys on one-on-one, um, you know, try to slow, trying to slow the pace of the game down. Whereas, you know, we want to keep going and keep uh, staying, um, staying quick. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, knowing it's kind of, you know, just kind of knowing where we're all going to be at, where, uh, you know, Joe's going to be able to get the puck and, you know, where, know where he's going to rim it, you know, go a little high, get in front of the net, you know, Roop's going to, Go, go up the middle of the ice, you know, it's kind of makes it easy to play with, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why we've been one of the more su- successful lines the past couple of years. Do you guys feel as though you get enough credit as a line? Um, you know, I don't think, you know, and Pab, Pab's been around for, you know, 17 years. I don't think he needs credit. You know, I don't think he wants it. I mean, he's, he's been around uh, and Roop just, uh, you know, Roop just got his, um, 
you know, extension in, so I'm sure he's a happy camper. And you know, I, I got mine a couple couple months ago too. So I mean, we don't we don't really need as a line. I don't think we need credit from anyone else. I don't think it uh, really impacts us. You know, it's not gonna make us play better. You know, listen to that stuff. Um, we're just going out there, and what we want to do is be you know one of the best lines in NHL consistently every night. And um, you know, all that matters is in our locker room and uh, being the 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 type of players that our coaching staff and our team relies us to be. Yeah, the money's nice. <laughs> like the money, the <laughs> money definitely helps. They're like, oh yeah, uh, you guys saw our contracts, right? Yeah, we're doing all right. Everybody's feeling fine. I will say though, like Roop, especially uh, the reaction I got from a lot of people when they saw his contract was, "What? Like, how did this guy end up getting this much?" And so, I think one of the the cool things about a streak like yours is that it does bring a little bit of added attention to a team. And yeah, the the attention that a guy like you ends up getting ends up rubbing off to a lot of your teammates. And and again, I'm I'm sure that you feel. Um, as much as anybody, like those guys uh, have as much credit in what you're doing right now as anybody. So um, speaking of like teammates and line mates and all that, so there's no international hockey until 2024 or until beyond 2024 now. And my buddy texted me the other day. He said, good, because he's, he's afraid of the States. And I said, you're a coward. That's embarrassing for you that you ever sent that. And I won't even name him, but he actually works at the station. But how how disappointing is this for a golden generation of American-born players? No, I don't think it's disappointing. You know, I think it's rather encouraging. You know, you got the, a lot of up-and-coming Americans, a lot of, you know, Americans who, you know, as, you know, Toronto has one of the best Americans on his team, um, you know, just entering a prime or in his prime. So, I mean, you got a lot of, up-and-coming guys you know unfortunately the the players who you know are on the back end of their uh, careers you know can't really uh be able to do that but you know they um, they did they had their opportunities before so i mean they they did get their their chance at it but i mean it is what it is um but i mean i guess now it's just more focusing on your team now i mean that's all uh you have looked forward to doing and you know i i was able to i played world championships not the last year but the year before and uh, so I had an opportunity to do that. So, I mean, I was able to do a little bit of that. I did World Juniors for a little bit. So, I mean, uh, it's unfortunate that you can't get, you know, you know, especially with the FIFA World Cup going on right now. It's, like, uh, yeah. very fun to watch. And it's unfortunate that, you know, hockey doesn't have something uh, soon. But, um, you know, I'll just keep keep sticking with it, keep getting better. And hopefully when when and if we have a event like that, uh you know, we'll, we'll all be ready and, uh, you know, hopefully contend. You know, we'll contend for sure. Yeah, I hate looking at your guys' roster because it's so strong. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's tr- it's truly, yeah. like, it's very, very different than in years past where there were, yeah, like, listen, uh, the States has always had great players and it's always been an incredibly tough out for Canada. Like, Golden Goal was a massive one, huge swing. But, yeah, it's like, it's it's there's arguably more talent on the U S side. And I, I don't remember a time where it's ever been like that before. And so that's kind of the disappointing part is like, you just keep waiting and waiting for this best on best tournament. And yeah, dude, the, the world cup is actually what makes me think about this even more because the chirp back from the rest of the world, whenever a team like the States gets knocked out or Canada is you guys call yourselves world champions in sports where you have just a league in North America. And that's what I missed the chance of having is just being able to, to say that yeah you're the world's best team at a sport and so i I hope we end up getting it soon um when it does or like just right now though not even looking forward are you the are you the best american goal scorer now (laughs) no i'm not gonna leave it to anyone i'm just going out there and 
but just doing my thing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think I'm the best goal scorer, honestly. I think, um, you know, I'm being a lot of really opportunistic right now and, uh, fortunate that it's all working. Bro, that's like the most humble hockey guy answer. You're like, oh, it's just going in the back of the net. It's no big deal. It's just any, anybody could do it. Like anybody out there could do it. It just happens to me right now that's doing it. Again, I'll, I'll remind you of the stats of just you versus McDavid right now. Um, yeah, I, I'd love, I always thought it would be interesting to see like if you guys were on Team USA, uh, you and Matthews having your own lines or you two playing together. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned it, dude. Your, your brother's on the other side. He's playing against you. He got the better of you last time. Um, pretty big night for him. I'm sure he let you know about it later. Uh, how often do you guys get to communicate during the season? Uh, pretty often. I mean, um, you know, other other than when you're on the road, because um, that comes sometimes gets uh, a little confusing. But I mean, when we're on off days, or or uh, you know, when we have a little time off. Actually, I'm you know I'm about to see. I'm probably going to see him in a couple hours now. So I mean, I get a good, get to see him there. But um, yeah, you know, I keep a lot of good communication. I mean, unfortunately, um, you know, he. He was uh, he missed a few games, um, but uh, now he's back in and he's uh, looking hungry. So. Yeah, well now he gets an opportunity to play a little bit more, right? And and this is something that a lot of people in the city have been advocating for is just like, hey, a younger guy, especially a goal scorer like him, being able to just be able to get in rhythm. How, how important do you think that is, just for a guy with his game to just be able to play? Because there just there hasn't been enough ice time for him this year. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I had that kind of similar situation when I was uh, during the COVID season uh, you know we had our taxi squad and uh, I was trying to get in that I was trying to get I made the lineup at the beginning of the year uh, the season opening lineup but you know we had um, what six extra players um, right so you know you had a couple guys like right you know breathing down your neck right trying to get in the lineup too so um, you know I ended up getting scratched for a couple weeks and you know, finally get a chance to crack the, the top six. Uh, Bowles gave me uh, a look there and kind of, you know, ran with it. You know, I never really uh, went in and out. So it was kind of like where you got that uh, momentum and just keep going. And you had that, I had that confidence, uh, you know, in me that, uh, you know, Bowles instilled in me. And uh, that was important because as a young guy, it was, uh, uh, it's a tough time. And I mean, um, you know, you need those games and you need those minutes and to have your, to have the coach like uh, bonus, Rick bonus to have that uh, in me was, um, you know, it was a lot for me because especially as a 21 year old, you're in the NHL. But, um, you know, for Nick, you know, the difference, you know, with Nick is, you know, he's mentally tough. Um, you know, he's dealt with a lot of adversity his whole, his whole career, you know, injuries, um, other things. And he's still, you know, the hardest working, you know, person I know. Honestly, you know, he's always grinding, he's always working, he always wants to get better. And um, that's something that, um, you know, Toronto is very fortunate to have, honestly. I think, you know, I, I honestly think he's the hardest working uh, player I've ever seen. So, and he's always pushing um, mentally and physically. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a great player. Well, I remember I got a chance to speak with him, actually. I think it was during the COVID off season. I think it was like the first summer off of it. 
and he was going through his summer routine and all of the different stuff that he was working on. And, and I was, I was like really impressed. I couldn't believe that he was taken back that much. And yeah, he showed up and it was a really, really impressive camp for him. Um, I think he got a little bit of a bad bounce when it came to the way that contracts were structured for the Leafs. But yeah, again, he's got a big opportunity in front of him right now. And I, here's, here's my guess is that, that he feels that little bit of extra juice when he's playing against you. And so you're kind of hurting your own team kind of in a weird way. Like you're your team, you're playing like your team's best player right now, but you're the team's worst enemy in a way because he's going to feel a little bit more comfortable seeing you on the other side of the ice in this next game. Yeah. I mean, I just, honestly, that's probably a good thing uh, for him. I mean, obviously we, we don't want to have the same result as it was a couple weeks ago, but um, you know, he had you know, arguably, arguably his best game in NHL then. Um, oh, it was uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, 50-50. You know, you, I get great to see my brother do well, but unfortunately we lost the game. And um, But honestly, you know what? He's going to come to the game tomorrow. He's going to be dialed in. Uh, uh, he, he doesn't need, um, you know, any any past uh, motivation or whatever. I'm sure he's just focusing. And, um, yeah, he, he, that's the type of person he is. He's always dialed in and, um, you know, just ready for the next challenge. Yeah, I uh, there was a Raptors game about a week ago where they lost to uh, they they lost the Atlanta Hawks, and the Raptors assistant coach is Adrian Griffin, and his son hit the walk off bucket. And I'm like, yeah, of course you hate losing, but it's got to be just a bit of a weird feeling when you're like, hey, that's cool for my little baby brother, like just ripping an overtime goal and being in Toronto and having the, the moment like that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm glad he ended up getting it. I'm glad that you were in the house for it. Uh, I'm glad you guys are playing against each other. Uh, what is going to be tomorrow night, Jason? Um, congrats on the streak, dude. It really is incredible. Um, I think your story is great. Uh, I think that the attention that you guys are bringing to your team right now is awesome, and I wish you the best of luck the rest of the season, pal. No, no, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Take care, man. Jason Robert. There was Jason Robertson. Uh, fun getting to chat with him. I always love, you know, listen, I got a brother. Anybody with siblings knows. Nice to be able to talk about them, and you usually care about uh, their successes. I did, I found his comments on his brother. Uh, like, that's where he kind of wanted to open up a little bit. You could tell that he was excited to see him later that day. And, yeah, I, I like the point that he made about needing Rick Bonus to believe in him when he was 21 years old because, yeah, my guess is that he feels as though his brother doesn't have a coach who believes in him or maybe doesn't see some of the work that he puts in. Uh, we're always going to be a little hyperbolic about our siblings, about our loved ones, especially when we're trying to defend them or hype them up to people. But, yeah, uh, the one thing about Robertson is definitely the, the work ethic is there. Um, again, I got to speak with him during the pandemic season and I couldn't remember the exact details of it. So I did end up going back, but no, he was, he, he, he wasn't able to get the same kind of public ice time as people. So it had to be super creative and it was a lot, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of working out and trying to add muscle and yeah, continue to refine skills in just about any way that he could. So yeah, it is going to be very curious to see if, uh, from a leaf standpoint, whether or not Nick Robertson can gain the trust of his coaching staff over the next of this next stretch. I've I've made a point of this, but this really does feel like a make or break feels a little strong because I don't think it's that urgent where the Leafs are forced to make a trade of Nick Robertson or he can't go back to the AHL or whatever. But yeah. Uh you get a extended run with 
one of the most established centers of the last decade in John Tavares and Mitch Marner, the hottest player outside of your brother in the NHL, a guy that's on a 19-game point streak, you get some secondary power play time. You can't figure out a way to put the puck in the back of the net with any consistency when that's your thing. Um, it's going to be hard to justify the Leafs continuing to run you out there this year in a season where they like desperately need secondary scoring, and if they're not getting that, they need different identity down the line. Um, this is clearly an experiment time, especially given where this team is at with bringing up SDA, with trying out Timmons. But, yeah, I, I don't think that this stretch is more important for any Maple Leaf over the next, what, six, seven, eight games than it is for Nick Robertson. I don't even know who would be close. I, I don't even know who would be the, the runner-up to him. This is a hugely important stretch. He's got to prove himself to a degree. Otherwise, it's probably the AHL or back being on the bubble of this roster. And potentially, if he decides that he's not being given a fair shake, I, I could see a scenario where he quietly asks to be someone that's put in a trade package that would like to explore different pastures. Anyway, I, I'm kind of curious to see how the SDA thing shakes out tonight. Um, intriguing player, almost a point of game with the Marlies. Uh, a guy who is a very creative player, very small, obviously. That's the way that he was uh, first introduced to us. We were like, oh my god, this guy's a very little child. He was, I think, 18 years old when the Leafs drafted him, 2018. Uh, it was just like the little guy from the Peets. The little creative guy from the Peets. Now he's 22. And, and yeah, time flies. So we get our first look at SDA. I'm excited to see him. That's this is this is a bit of a drier period in the season. Yes, these games all count the same and whatever. But the Leafs are playing extremely well. They have a bit of license to try things that are a bit different. They don't need to formulate the playoff lineup today on December 6th. So, yeah, I'm excited to see SDA. It's a different look in the lineup. And, yeah, it'll probably be some limited minutes. Maybe you get to see a little bit of power play time. But uh, I want to see how the creativity translates to uh yeah a an nhl roster an nhl opponents most specifically it is a little strange though that yeah malgan has fallen out of favor so quickly um a guy who was an early bright spot this season and now it's his uh i think his third game in a row maybe even yeah third game in a row where he's been all lined up anyway uh that's all tonight against the stars 8 30 and again leafs talk with sam mckee and i uh at the end of the game um it's now time for action, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19+. plus. Must be in Ontario. Please play responsibly. So it's Tuesday, which means that it's sketchy line season, where I open it up and I take a look at what lines don't make sense this week in the NFL, because those are the ones that I'm going to circle and say something is up here, something doesn't make sense here. And, and to me, it was just like two that just, just kicked me right in the face. There's two. There's two, there's two, there's two. There's a couple of other ones that are a little bit shadier, a little bit like, uh, but there's two that are just absolutely no doubt about it. I can't believe this is the line. I never would have guessed this was the line. Number one is the Cincinnati Bengals who just beat, who just beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Staying at home, normal rest, one o'clock game against their division rivals, the Cleveland Browns. Are we really assuming that the one week is going to change Deshaun Watson this greatly? Because he looked horrific in that game. Horrific. Maybe he settles in. Maybe some of it was nerves, but I, we talked about it with Pete. To me, that was a guy who just had not seen NFL pressure in years. 
and was not comfortable with his receivers, was not comfortable in the pocket, was getting rid of the ball too early, was under-throwing his receivers with like an incredible consistency versus a defense that's been gearing up that just slowed down the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes with an offense where Joe Burrow was absolutely cooking. Again, the Bengals are still playing for stuff. I don't, I don't know why... They're they're fighting for their divisional lives. This is an extremely important game for them. I just I don't understand how the how the Browns are plus six. I would have assumed that the Bengals that this would be a three points more that this would be a nine point spread even for a divisional game. I I can't figure if that's just what it is. Is people going well? If it goes too high, then you're gonna get the Mark Boffos who uh, just say divisional game and they bet the other side. They bet the dog. Uh, I just I see a big gap between these two teams right now and the Browns. Yeah. Like, if it's anybody but the Texans last week, they get smoked. They get smoked. Anybody. Pick a team. Tell me the team that you don't think beats that Browns team last week. They looked bad. Deshaun Watson does not look ready. And, yeah, they're a team that kind of feels like they're ready to go into the tank. Um, I think that the Browns have, like, a really good record against the Bengals in terms of the spreads. So maybe that's a piece of it. But either way... um, I'm just not, I'm just not buying this right now. Uh, the other one that sticks out is one that it hit everybody, I think, the same way. But upon further review, it makes sense because the point differential for these two teams is basically the exact same. Um, the Minnesota Vikings, who win all the one-score games, the Minnesota Vikings of. They got 10 wins. Yeah, 10 and 2. Facing a team that's 5 and 7. Record-wise, this makes absolutely no sense. But yeah, look at the point differential. It's not that it's not that big of a gap. They're visiting the Lions, and the Lions are slight favorites. Minus one and a half. And I kind of like the Lions. I think it's a good spot for the Lions. I really do. I really believe that this is a Lions spot. So yeah, I'm I'm betting the Lions here. I think it's a sketchy line, and sometimes you just have to bet the sketchy line. And I like the Lions here. Uh, by the way, I just need to point out the stat before we take a break and get to Chris Mannix. Yesterday's comeback for Tom Brady was the 44th comeback of his career. But I heard a stat this morning. It was the fourth most improbable comeback of the next gen era. So tough one for Jobo, and tough one for uh, the group because I don't even like. I don't think anybody hit any bets yesterday. That was a tough one. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Chris Mannix about, yeah, uh, another historic statistic when it comes to the Boston Celtics. Where OG fits in the Depoy rankings. And then, yeah, how aggressive the Raptors might be when it comes to the trade market. That's all next with Chris Mannix. Sportsnet 590. 590. The fan. So, yeah, bad loss for the Raptors. I, I know the Celtics are arguably the best team in the NBA right now. In fact, um, I read yesterday that they have the best offensive rating in NBA history by like almost three points per 100 possessions, which is, yeah. It's hard to believe considering we've seen the Warriors with Steph Curry, Kevin Rant, Clay Thompson on the same team. Uh, considering some of those Rockets teams. But yeah, the, this Celtics team, that's who's doing it. But yeah, they're undermanned yesterday, missing their front court pieces. And I know Robert Williams has been out all year, but 
Yeah, no Malcolm Brogdon, back-to-back. You're facing the Raptors. They're in a kind of a good spot. They're in a spot where they really need to make a bit of a statement after some really tough losses to some good teams. And yeah, the Celtics still find a way. And part of the reason is because that man, Jason Tatum, just continues to do his thing, which is be utterly dominant this year. Chris Mannix, senior writer for SI, host both of the crossover and boxing with Chris Mannix podcast, which are both excellent. I highly recommend subscribing and reviewing. Uh, Chris, what's up, man? How are we doing? What's going on? Hey, so let's let we just got to start with Tatum. What what changed for this guy? Because there were moments last year where we saw this player, but we've never seen him string it together quite like this. Well, I think part of it is as simple as a natural progression of a young star. I mean, Tatum has been All NBA for I think a couple of seasons now. Um, he's been one of the best scorers in the NBA for a couple of seasons now. Automatic All Star every year but the the wrinkle i think for this season is that he really got a big bounce off the finals like he went into the off season knowing exactly what it was going to take to get him to the next level and he used that to motivate him i spent some time talking to him talking to his trainer drew hanlon in the off season about what they honed in on and it was being more physical getting to the free throw line and just taking command in key moments. And you saw that in the game last night when the Celtics team needed him to step up and, and score, he was able to do that. That's been a consistent theme for him for this season. Yeah, he's been brilliant. And again, the Raptors are the team that's designed to slow a guy like that down, and especially in a back-to-back, yeah. and then they, were able, they, they weren't able to do it. And, and i got to tell you, that was a little bit of deflating as a Raptors observer because you went, oh, there's this OG Depoy buzz, and I know it's December 6th, I get it. But yeah, he's leading the league in steals, and he looks like a different player this year. And then for him to just light the Raptors up the way that he did was, yeah, tough to watch. And, and honestly, this is one of my favorite things to see from an NBA player, is especially like of his caliber, is to go from, hey, you're in this All-NBA, phase to being very very clearly what could be the best player on a championship winning team entering that like next tier and last year during the postseason it looked like yeah it sort of wore him down a little bit and so to take that motivation and turn it into no I actually care more and I'm hungry to get back to the finals I don't know that that to me anyways is one of the most interesting and most compelling stories that you can have in professional sports yeah I think the other thing that was big for him was having an actual off season to both rest and, you know, kind of just get back in the lab and work on the things you need to work on. I mean, you go back, this, Jason Tatum hasn't had a real off season since like 2019, 2020, they were in the bubble, 2021, they made a deep playoff run. Uh, and then he went straight into the Olympics uh, last year. Uh, they're, they're making a run, but then he gets the entire off season this past summer to, to get back to work. And I think he benefited greatly. And I know he did. He's talked to me about it a couple of times. So uh, this is not a fluke. I mean, Jason Tatum was my preseason pick to win MVP, and, and it was for these exact reasons. Yeah, uh, that's looking like a pretty good bet right now. Um, he's definitely tracking in that direction. So it was a measuring stick game for the Raptors. And it's interesting, you know, you bring up the full offseason thing because that was part of the discussion around Pascal Siakam earlier is, mm. hey, this this is a guy who's entering a different level of his game as well. And look at what he's had to go through the past couple of years. And same thing goes for OG and Nobi. And a lot of these Raptors, right, they're healthier, they're younger, they're going to be able to try to take the step. And so far, they... 
They've had moments where they can punch up and look like a very, very good team. But for the most part, you're, they are kind of a – your record is telling of who you are right now, which is, yeah, mm-hmm. 500. They feel very middle of the pack. They've gotten beat by now three really good teams that I think that they should be comparing themselves to in a row. Um, what, just, where's, what's your general read about where this franchise is right now in their current iteration? I think you kind of nailed it that, you know, they're a middle-of-the-pack team at the moment. Um, a game last night where the Celtics are depleted in a couple of ways, that's – if you want to be a team that, that you know, goes beyond just a playoff appearance, you got to win games like that. Like, those are the games you you take advantage of. And, yeah, you know, there were times, of course, last night the Raps looked like they were going to do it, but then the Celtics stepped on the gas offensively and put some some numbers up on them. And – and that's, uh, you know, you don't want to get overreact too much to things that are happening in early December, but that's certainly a red flag for, for where, where this team is. I mean, when I watch Raptors games, I just, they just look like they're a player away. I mean, they've got some good talent. I mean, and, and Scotty Barnes is that player in two years, but he's not quite there yet. And, you know, they're, you know, with, you compare the talent they have. You know, especially on the wings with Barnes and Siakam and Ananobi and the collection of guys that I have that are really good and in the case of Barnes and Ananobi, are getting better. And then you look on Boston's side of the ledger, where you got Tatum and Brown, who are a few years older, uh, but are so much more advanced in their games. So I, I look at, you know, I just I feel like this team needs something else. You know, needs an addition. And again, that could come organically. The problem is it's probably not going to come organically this season. So you're right. You always have to caution about being overly reactionary with a team like the Raptors. And... Um, yeah, especially with this fan base, because I don't know if you've ever seen them on social media before, Chris, but it can be a little yeah. offensive at times. But yeah, the Raptors, uh, this is something that really is not a recency bias thing, is they were 27th in true shooting percentage last season, and they're 28th now. Like, they, they can't shoot, mm-hmm. and they, yeah. they don't score very well. And are there nights where Siakam can take over, or OG can bully his way to the basket, and they get a third contributor, either Fred's three is dropping, or they get a Trent performance? Yeah, like, they can have nights where, again, they fake it, but over the course of a regular season that just continues to crop up for this team and what's weird is like you mentioned the Scotty Barnes thing is hey they're a couple years away from him being a little bit more refined and getting closer to potentially that that Tatum I guess comparison which is something like I've heard Mm -hmm. David Thorpe uh, compare him to that player I think it'd be a really really tough stretch to get Scotty Barnes there but either way um, it's just it's hard to envision that lining up with guys like Fred Van Vliet still being in their primes, or and he might even be past it, or guys like even Siakam, who's 28 years old. They've, they've got some contracts to figure out. I wonder, again, this is a franchise where it's very, very hard to get information on, so yeah, I get it if there is nothing, but do you have any read on whether you think this organization would take a step backwards to take a step forward? Uh, I don't know that they would take a step backwards in the sense that they would trade any of their kind of 25 and others. In fact, you know, every time I talk to, to people around Toronto or people that have discussed deals with Toronto, it's always about finding that next piece that will make them better. I have not heard anything from, from people that have had, had talks about, you know, kind of tearing it down or looking for draft picks or looking for younger players in exchange for the Van Vliet's and the Siakam's guys that aren't old by any stretch, but to your point, don't, necessarily mesh with the timeline of a guy like Barnes or a guy like Ananobi. Uh, look, I think they're going to be looking for that big swing. I mean, they were in the mix for Kevin Durant when he was available. They, Like everybody else, they weren't 
willing to meet the bonkers asking price that um, that the, that the Nets were throwing out there. I, I think as this next month and a half, two months goes forward, I, I would expect Toronto to continue to look look aggressively to find ways to get better and not be eyeballing ways to strip it down. I still I still think they believe if if they can get that one other score in there, um, and they'd probably be willing to part with a Van Vliet or a or a, a, a Siakam if the score is good enough to, to get him. Uh, if they can bring that one other guy in there, they can still make some noise. Yeah, see, to me it's like what's becoming more and more clear with this team, and this is a weird one for me, is when you're looking at paths forward or paths for improvement, they've got two guys that they have to make decisions on. It's Gary Trent and it's Fred Van Vliet, and they're arguably their two Mm -hmm. best shooters, and I'm saying, hey, this team can't shoot, they can't shoot, they need shooting. But I would say that if you're trying to circle any two names that you might have to move off of, it would probably be one of those two guys. I just... One is I can't figure out what the value of a Gary Trent is because on paper it should be high, but in practicality there are some things that leave you wanting, and especially given like what he is going to get paid this offseason. What, what do you think a value would be for a guy like Gary Trent in the trade market? I, well, I think that would be a robust market for him. Would it bring back the caliber of player that makes sense to deal for him? Probably not. I think a guy like Gary Trent is – the kind of guy you would move if you're, you're looking to tear it down and you're looking to, you know, recoup draft capital and a matching salary back in return. I mean, look, shooting is, you know, you mentioned the Raptors numbers. That's a problem. I mean, like you, you need to have a collection of shooters. You know, Boston, again, to use a recent example, is a great example. Everybody shoots on that team. Like it, it's yeah, remarkable. Number one you in know, they, shooting percentage. It, it, it's wild. Like, you know, they, they, you know, all, you know, at the end of last season, I, I was talking to people within that organization about free agency moves. And yeah, they got Malcolm Brogdon, but all I heard was Sam Hauser, Sam Hauser, Sam Hauser. And Sam Hauser is like, you know, the greatest shooter since Larry Bird, you know, by some of these, these shooting metrics. I mean, these are the guys you've got to, to find. Celtics did a great job of identifying him and, you know, getting, uh, you know, guys one through five that can shoot the basketball. And Al Horford, I mean, I, I don't know what his numbers are today, but. At one point, he was shooting like 48% from three last week. So, I, you know, you, you don't want to give up shooters while you're trying to be a contender because you simply can't win in the NBA today unless you're putting three or four good shooters on the floor. I mean, the Lakers right now are playing good basketball to bring it to another team, but that's because some other guys starting to shoot. I mean, Lonnie Walker's starting to shoot. Russell Westbrook's shooting mid-30s. Like, when, they, when that shooting tails off, and, and it will, and I know they're playing the Raptors, I think, what, this week, like, yeah, they're going to fall off a cliff um, fall off a cliff as well. So if you want to win, you got to protect your shooters at all costs. Yeah. If you go through and you look at, again, true shooting percentage, the Celtics are one, the Warriors are three, the Nets are four. Yeah, they've, they've just got shot makers. The Nuggets are five. You know, the Pelicans, Mavericks, uh, Cavs are all in the top ten. They're right there. The Raptors are keeping company right now with teams like the Hornets and the Spurs, who yeah. are in yeah, full teardown. So, like, that's an issue for a team that's supposed to be competitive. I think that the the issue I have with it is, what do you pay guys like that? Like, what are you supposed to give Gary Trent if you decide to keep him? What are you supposed to pay Fred Van Vliet? Because then, all of a sudden, you know, your options for improving, I, I feel like they get harder and harder and harder. And so, to me, like, one of the paths that I would be very curious to see if they would explore is, yeah, trading guys like Van Vliet, trading guys like Gary Trent, recouping some draft capital or trade or you know prospect capital in those deals, and then seeing if you can kind of pivot during an offseason where there's a little bit more flexibility. I brought up the idea to my friend earlier on the show that, man, it would have been 
It would have been kind of fun to think about the idea of Trent and Fred for the Russell Westbrook contract and those two Lakers picks because they could end up mm-hmm. having a ton of value. I, I just don't know if that's actually enough right now when you compare what the rest of the league would offer for that player. And also, what do you make of just like the Russ resurgence with the Lakers lately in terms of, yeah, maybe changing their mindset about what they do with him? Well, to answer a few of those things, one, you, you got to teams that have shooters in their roster historically wind up having to overpay to keep them. And that's recent history. I mean, you look at, at Duncan Robinson and what he got with Miami, uh, Joe Harris, what he got with Brooklyn. These guys are getting, you know, hundred plus million dollar contracts. And those are nightmare um, deals. Be- yeah. They're, they're nightmare deals. Now, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't like Boston's a year and a half away from having to probably deal with that with Sam Hauser, who's because like, again, it goes back to my point. Shooting is, is incredibly valuable, and and they're going to be is they teams, these, these teams know that there are going to be teams out there willing to make those kind of offers. So they try to lock these guys up as early as humanly possible. So the answer to that question is like it's going to cost a lot to, to keep Gary Trent around uh, as a free agent. As far as a Westbrook deal goes, I, look a Trent Van Vliet offer would be competitive. I can tell you that much because the market for Westbrook outside of Indiana is not great. The question is, how willing are the Lakers going to be to move those two first-round picks? Every time I check in with people that, that talk to the Lakers, it's that they don't want to move them, and they're not willing to put one or both you know, into, into a deal right now. And if they are, it's going to have to be a blockbuster to, to get them to move off those first-round picks. That can change because the Lakers, eight out of the last ten, they're playing good basketball right now. Maybe they're war- more willing to roll the dice to maximize AD and LeBron over these next couple of years. But for right now, uh, that's tough. As far as Westbrook goes, I- I'm, I'm stunned uh, by it. I mean, you three games into the season, you know, this looked like a guy who might be playing his last year in the league, and he's not that far removed from being MVP. But his willingness to embrace being a sixth man has changed the trajectory of his career. He's done what Allen Iverson wouldn't do and what many other alpha players in the past wouldn't do and that was be to take a reserve role come off the bench and change his game to a certain degree and I think that has given him new life on his career I mentioned the numbers he's right around 34 percent from three in the 18 games he's come off the bench um, and, and he has just fit in that role so he's become a net positive for this team whereas last season and the first three games of this season he was a complete negative um, we only have about a minute, but if you had a if you had to turn in your ballot today, would OG Ananobi be your defensive player of the year? <laughs> I, 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 he, he's up there. I have given approximately what five seconds of thought, which is during this conversation about who defensive player of the year uh, <laughs> would be at this moment. I'm already. I'm the Listen, only thing Chris, I'm it's like our one MVP thing that we've got right now with the Raptors is the OG steal <laughs> stat. I, okay, so just please, just say I it. But... This, I, I, I can tell you this much: it, it will not be Rudy Gobert. So yeah. I can. I'm oh, yeah, ready to good. wipe him off the board right away. And uh, you, then you start getting the Marcus Smart wing guys territory. And hey, look, Marcus Smart opened the door back up again for wing players to get more consideration. And if the Raptors' defense remains, you know, tight and and, and if they keep their place in the playoff mix, which I think is important to voters, including me, um, I, you know, he's certainly got more than half a shot. Uh, Chris Mannix, again, senior writer for SI, and you can catch both of his podcasts, The Crossover and Boxing with Chris Mannix, which is, yeah, heating up right now, the boxing world. Uh, catch both of those, subscribe, review, do those things. Chris, thanks for the time today, man. Appreciate it. Uh, there goes Chris, uh, Chris Mannix, senior writer for SI. And, yeah, um, 
that's just where I'm at. I think you got to take a step back because that he's right. Like you either faced with these propositions and I'm, I'm going to get in them. I'm going to have Blake Murphy in for an hour this week and really deep dive into some of these things. But what, what are you supposed to do? Your options are re-sign Gary Trent and re-sign Fred Van Vliet to big contracts. And then what? And then you're faced with pretty much the, the same thing you have or outside of what internal improvement from OG and Barnes over the next three, two, three years that it puts you up to the title contender ceiling. I don't know. Finding enough shooting around those players using what free agent dollars do you have? Mid-level exceptions draft. I, I, it just, it's hard to believe that that's the right path forward. And then what? You can't swap those guys for equal assets. No team's giving you shooting for shooting. So what do you do? You probably have to take a step back and then pivot and move forward with it. Anyways, um, subscribe to this podcast. If you listen on Apple, leave five stars. If you listen on Spotify, leave five stars. I'll catch you tomorrow.